Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our special guest speaker. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. Well, I will say first of all, good morning, happy people. Lots of happy people. It's summertime. People are happy. And I thought nothing, nothing better than to talk about anger today. Um, but I wanted to start uh, with a story. Actually, I want to also acknowledge that we're in a series. So we are in a series about the Gospel of John, the life of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Started out asking the question, is he worthy to be our Lord, to be our master, to be our ruler? Is Jesus worthy? Is this Lord, is, is this one who calls himself, you know, the Son of Man, worthy to be our Lord? That was the first question we asked. Then... We had my wonderful bride come up and talk about John the Baptist and how John the Baptist wasn't Jesus, but he pointed to Jesus. And that is the call of parents to point to Jesus, especially in prayer for our children. Then we had Andrew Padilla come up and talk about Jesus himself and the wedding at Cana being the, himself the sweetest wine that satisfies us, the best wine. And we are called to, to know him in that way, worthy of our focus and attention. And lastly, Danny came last time to talk about the feeding of the 5,000 and how Jesus satisfies our soul to overflow. And he, in so, so much so that there's actually leftovers that we can pour into others' lives as well. That is the, the work of Jesus in our lives. So that's the, the Gospel of John so far. And I'm going to take it a step further and talk about a special disturbing story in the Bible. Uh, but first, I wanted to start with a story about my dad. Now, you're probably tired of hearing stories about Ryan's dad, but there is just so much material that he gave me, uh, so it's not my fault. Um, So we want to start the story with a Saturday morning. I was about mm, 18 years old on a baseball field, and my father and, and, and the rest of us were sitting in the field watching my brother over in Crystal Lake. And he was there, he was a 13-year-old, so this is the Babe Ruth League, 13, 14, 15. And if you know anything about human development, 13-year-olds are really small, and 15-year-olds are really big, especially boys. So my brother is on the team, and his coach had an anger problem, definitely had an anger problem. And for some reason, my brother was the great trigger of his anger, (laughs) Uh, for some reason, I mean, whatever he did on the field and, you know, his learning and his, the way his body would move, uh, the coach would just get triggered by my, my brother. But, um, he wasn't the, you know, the coach wasn't the only one there with an anger problem. My father was there that day, uh, at the game and he was there watching his beloved son, Aaron on the field. Now the coach, uh, you know, specifically would, would relatively regularly call out my brother for the same mistakes that other people would make, but he would single my brother out. And my dad had had about enough. And so here we are. One last thing I'll tell you about my dad. He was a gymnast. He was pretty big. And he was also a football player. And he was actually a kicker. And so if you remember that fact about my father as we continue... So, so the, the ball was hit up the middle. So even in a baseball field, the ball gets whacked up the middle. It goes past the pitcher. It goes past the second baseman. It goes past the shortstop. And here's my brother out in left field with the, the leg spread and the mitt is down. And wouldn't you know it, the ball gets right past him. And, you know, who does the coach decide to yell at again? 
Well, he decides not to yell at the pitcher who missed it, the first baseman or second baseman, the shortstop, but he directs his anger to my brother. And my, bro- my dad had had enough. That was the moment he decided enough during the middle of the game when everybody's watching. And so what he does is he kind of gets up, you know, he's full of ups, being upset and rage. And he kind of walks out there and he's going to take his son off the field and, and we're, we're going home. But on the way there, there is a lonely little football helmet in the way. And so he kicks the football helmet and it sails into left field. Now, if, if there was some goalposts out there and it was a different sport and, and it was a different field, the team would have gotten three more points, definitely. But, but instead, um, it became a symbol of his anger and unleashed. And then he, he took my brother and I and, and the rest of his family off the field, and that was the end of that year's season. Now, he did come back n- next year on a different team, but it's a funny story. Um, but it wasn't the first time my father got angry or, or the last. You see, my dad learned how to get angry from, from his father. His father taught him how to get angry. And, he, and his, my father's name was Charles, a wonderful man, anger problem. But guess what? Charles had a father named George. And George taught Charles how to get angry. And I don't know who else is up the chain, but I imagine it's a long chain of batons of anger that got passed finally down to someone else, someone who is standing here before you today. You see, that's how I learned how to get angry. Two, from my dad. And my anger really didn't surface until I became a parent. Um, Now, children, you know, the father's precious gifts to us are specifically designed to discover our weaknesses and insecurities, aren't they? Just like velociraptor dinosaurs. (laughs) Yeah, so as as a young man in my 20s, I found myself with four children, and, you know, I, I will admit, I was emotionally immature. And the ch- these, these children found themselves the object of my anger, my immaturity, in the form of me yelling and screaming at them. And, you know, I would let my impatience or my lack of grace or my, la- my fear of losing control, and I would unleash at them, and they would cry, and they eventually would do what I wanted in fear. You know, I would say things like this to them. You know, I, I wouldn't have to yell if you would just do this. Or if you would just do what I say, I wouldn't get angry. Or I would say, you make me so angry. So this is how I parented for many years. Until I met a man named Hugh. Hugh McGowan. And Hugh McGowan was a man in my church. He was an elder in the church, and I was a man in my, my late 20s. And he invited me to, into a, a small group of guys. And this was a group of about six other guys, myself and Hugh. And in that small group, we met every Monday night for a year, every, every other Monday night for a year. And what we would do together is we would talk about you know, what, it, what the aspects of becoming emotionally mature. We would talk about our anger. We would talk about our sadness. And what was wonderful is that we learned how to take personal responsibility for our feelings and our emotions as men. And so we learned that nobody makes me angry. Nobody makes me act in anger. I choose. I have the power 
to control my emotions in Jesus. I have the ability to act in light of how I feel. I'm going to feel emotions. I'm going to feel angry. I'm going to feel sad. I'm going to feel scared. I'm going to feel those things. What's a healthy way that I can act when I feel certain things? And that was a wonderful gift that he gave me. As I said, the group was called Men of Freedom because we wanted to be free from acting like victims, blaming others for my emotions, blaming others for my how I react in my emotions. We wanted to be the men of freedom, free to obey the Lord, who is the God of everything, including emotions. So I began to take a journey to discover how that was possible, to take back control of my emotions and to grow into a more, not a completely emotionally mature, but a more emotionally mature person who had the ability to restrict how I responded when I felt angry. Also, lately, I'll tell you, in my growth process, I've been adding as a man in my, my mid-40s, approaching late-40s, uh, fear. I'm lately been, anybody else, uh, as you approach shoulder, starts to feel a little bit afraid, like, oh my gosh, well, you know, my kids are doing this and that. So I've, been, I've added fear to the list of emotions that I need to have special handling or it will become, take control of my life. So here's a question. How about you? Are you like me? Are you like me? Do you have personal um, emotions that become sometimes out of control? Are you struggling with regret around maybe things that have happened, things that you've done in response to your emotions, that, that there's a, a level of regret, there's a level of sadness when I look back? You know, has a lack of control, lack of emotional self-control resulted in painful outcomes in your life? What are you angry about? What are you scared about? What are you chronically sad about? And how is it manifesting in your behavior? Maybe there's someone in your life who lacks self-control in terms of emotions. Maybe you've been wounded by them, traumatized by them. And you want to grow in understanding why they feel these things so that you can pray for them, so you can forgive them, so you can empathize with them, and really so you can love them. Or maybe you've been told emotions are weakness. Emotions are weakness. Maybe you've been told that. And so you've learned to suppress them. It's not manly to feel emotions. It's, it's, it's weak to feel emotions. So you maybe learn to suppress them or crush them or hide them, but they bottle up, don't they? Or lastly, maybe you found a way when you feel these intense emotions to do something called numbing with, with, with chemicals, with relationships, with other things that really help to stop the emotion from manifesting and feeling knowing that the problem is it results in negative outcomes in life, but it also numbs joy and happiness and excitement and tenderness as well. Maybe you've been numbing, and this is something that I have done in my life as well. Well, we can be thankful that God is emotional. He designed and created emotions, and he wants to use our emotions to glorify himself to bring life, to bring truth, to bring freedom, even in the midst of our great emotions, and including anger, including anger. 
So today we're going to talk about one of the few times in the Bible that Jesus got mad. And we're going to learn about why he was angry and why it's okay, given the why, given the why he was angry. So let's set the stage. Remember, we're in the Gospel of John together. And this was, you know, again, the beginning of the first millennia. The Romans are in control of Jerusalem, really in control of Israel. And yet the Jewish people are still coming to the Passover. And not only that, they actually have to come to Jerusalem. Let me read why. It says, Sacrifice as the Passover to the Lord your God, an animal from your flock or herd at the place the Lord will choose for his name. So Jerusalem, people actually had to come to Jerusalem, and they were celebrating that when the angel of death came to the Israelites, they could protect themselves by smearing the blood of the spotless lamb over the door frame of their homes, and the angel of death, death would pass over them, and they would be saved. But they had to come to Israel at this time because they needed, they were, God called them to worship and to come to the temple to bring their sacrifice. They needed supplies. They needed animals. They needed different ingredients to prepare for the feast, the Passover Seder feast that time of year. And so that's why Jesus came, because Jesus was obedient. He came, obeyed the, obeyed the Father, obeyed the Word to come to celebrate the Passover at Jerusalem. But then he saw something in the outer courts of the temple that made him angry. John 2.14. It says, in the temple courts, these are the outer courts of the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at the tables, and they were exchanging money. Now remember, people came to the temple, they made their pilgrimage, and they needed supplies. So this is a perfect example, purpose opportunity for business people to sell cattle, to sell animals, to sell doves for those that couldn't afford lambs or cattle. It was also a time that the Romans were like, wait a minute, everybody has to come here every year. Let's tax them. So there was a temple tax and the temple tax was required. So you, they would get them coming and going. Um, and also, wait a minute, the temple tax has to be paid in a certain currency, so we need the foreign exchange people. We need the money changers there to make a couple bucks on the trade-off of the currency. You bring me some gold, I'll give you the special currency. You can pay your temple tax. Everybody was making money this time of year. It was I call it the Jewish Super Bowl. Everybody was making cash. But there's more. It wasn't just a marketplace. It wasn't just... The fact that people were making money. God allows people to make money. He, he, he designed the whole concept of business and, and, and buying and selling. This was his idea. But the actual outer courts, where this was, this was the closest placed place that Gentiles, like many of us here, could get to the holiest of holies. And if, if they were blocked by being distracted by the marketplace, they had no chance of engaging with God. They had no chance of engaging with God because of what was set up in the outer courts. Now, what happens next should make us gasp. Gasp. Jesus, if you know, refers to himself in other parts of the Bible as, I am humble, I am gentle and humble in heart. But then he does this. 
John 2.15, So he made a whip out of cords, and he drove them from all the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers, and he overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Now, many people believe that Jesus didn't just clear the temple once. He actually did it twice at the beginning, at the end of his ministry. In Matthew 2, 21, 13, he said, It's written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. So it was, it was not quite like this. It was more like this. And it was or just like this. So the question is, Jesus, why are you mad, bro? Why are you mad? Why are you really angry? Why did Jesus get violent? Now, I don't believe he was whacking people. He was whacking the animals, and the people were following the animals out. I don't think Jesus was whacking people. He was beating on the animals to get them out of there, and the people would follow. But why was he tipping over things? Why was he just messing all up the business for them? Why? Well, there was actually four other times in the Bible to get an understanding of why. Why else was Jesus mad in the Bible? What other things made him angry? Or what other things did he choose to be angry about? I'll just tell you about There's about four. So then Mark 3, 4, there was a man with a shriveled hand on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees were like, you can't get healed. You can't encounter God on the Sabbath. So they were blocking the man with a shriveled hand from encountering God and encountering healing. Jesus got mad when that happened. And he healed him on the Sabbath. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, he says. I heal. And I want to bring people close to God. When the children were wanting to come to Jesus and the people were keeping the children away, Jesus got angry, he got indignant. No, 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 no. Let the children come to me. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He, didn't, he got angry when the children were blocked from coming to him. In Mark 141, he saw the sick and he was angry. He said he was indignant. He was, he was irritated beyond measure at sickness itself because he knew that sickness was distracting people from encountering God. It was keeping people back. And lastly, when the story of Lazarus, when he heard about Lazarus dying, he was indignant at death because death is the wages of sin, the greatest separator of man and God. He was angry at death itself. So why did Jesus get angry? Why does Jesus get angry? People were being blocked from encountering his father. People were being blocked from encountering himself. That's why he gets mad. Anyone or anything that comes between God and the people he loves will invoke his wrath. Anyone, anything coming between God and the people he loves will invoke his wrath. And lastly, in the last verse that we'll study today, John 2.17, his disciples, after they saw him this happen, they saw Jesus clearing the temple, they were like, oh yeah, I remember it says, zeal for his house will consume me. Zeal for his house will consume me. So zeal is a great passion, it's a great enthusiasm, it's a great energy. But was Jesus filled with great passion for a building, 
Was Jesus filled with great passion for the customs and the, the ceremonies, the courts? No. The house of the Lord is any place where we come to be with God. We are the temples of God's spirit. Jesus is filled with zeal, with passion, with fire for you and me. He's passionate about being with us. He's passionate about us experiencing him, knowing him, coming to him. That's what he gets excited and passionate about. And anything that comes between you and him will trigger his anger. Holy, righteous, passionate, loving anger. He is jealous for me. He loves like a hurricane. And I am a tree bent beneath of the weight of his wind and mercy. He's passionate for me. He's passionate for you. That's what brings the perfect man who is gentle and humble in heart to great anger. That's why he get mad, bro. So let me ask you a question. Why do you get angry? What are you angry about? What triggers your subconscious? What sets you off? So I've learned that anger, sometimes I don't like that word. I don't get angry. I get annoyed. I get impatient. I get irritated. I get frustrated. I don't get angry. I don't get wrathful. I don't get violent. But anger is on a continuum. Yes, definitely on one side we have wrathful, rage, fury. But this is still, this impatience is still anger. Irritation, annoyance, still anger. Is that why, are we getting angry because something is blocking us from the Lord? This is what it says about anger. James wrote wrote about it. He said, my brother and sisters, this is James 1, 19 and 20. Brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger, human anger, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God God desires. It's anger for the wrong reasons. It's anger because of my own judgments, because of my impatience, because of my fear of control, because of my impatience, because of my selfishness. That's human anger. It's anger that can't wait. But it does the opposite. My human anger, our human anger, does the opposite of what God wants. It tears at relationships. It divides I've heard a a woman say about her husband who got angry. Whenever you get angry, I just want to be away from you. I just want to be apart from you. Instead of building the kingdom of God, it tries to tear it down. Yet we know that Jesus got angry. But it was not human anger. It was holy anger. Anger for the right reasons. Anger Because something, someone was getting in the way of God and the children he loves. So my charge to you today is to let go of human anger, to release it. And we'll talk about how to do that. 
and embrace godly anger when something is getting in the way of you and the Father or your children and the Father or those that the Father loves and himself. We want to embrace a passion, a passionate anger for him. So what are you angry about today? What are you mad? Are you mad, bro? As we pray for a time of ministry, we're going to have um, the, the worship team come up here in a minute. And I want to just set some time to reflect on our emotions and our passion for Jesus. I just want to take some time to just receive his forgiveness for ways that we have had our human anger get out of control and hurt those that we love, including ourselves. We are, yeah, we are, come on up, yeah, come on up, yeah. We have, many of us, including myself, have hurt people, including people that we don't even know, maybe on the street, with our anger, who are fighting their own battles. And I just want to take some time to repent. And the repentance is, Lord, I have been angry. I am sorry. Please forgive me. Please change me and swing me 180 degrees toward your holy way. We'll take some time to do that this morning. I also want to take some time for many of us to receive healing to receive healing because you have been wounded by anger in others. Maybe a husband, maybe a wife, maybe a father, maybe a mother, maybe a coworker, even maybe your own children. Anger may have impacted you or caused trauma in you. And the Lord Jesus heals you of that anger. He does that. His Holy Spirit can heal you, I'm going to say this, as you forgive them, as you forgive them. So we need, we need supernatural ability to forgive those that have been human, had human anger toward us. We need supernatural ability to forgive those that lost control with us. But God has the ability to give you that ability to forgive. And lastly, I want to pray for those who have allowed distraction, who have allowed things to get in the way of your relationship with God, that have been blocking an intimate, silent relationship, a quiet, deep relationship with Jesus that he wants to have for you. So he's passionate for you. And we have allowed, I would say for me, distraction to get in the way of that. And I want to get angry. I want to be filled with his holy indignation, his anger, that I have the ability to clear the temple of my own heart, my own time, my own schedule, to be able to engage with him and know him and know his passion for me and give him my heart every day. I want to call you up. I can tell you that 
Your life will be changed if you spend time with him, if you clear the temple of your heart, in, even in anger, and spend time with him. My wife was telling me, you know, Ryan, whenever you talk about Jesus, you always cry. I don't know why you did that, but she's like, I've been spending time with Jesus, and I'm starting to know why you cry all the time, how amazing he is. It is possible to know Jesus in an intimate level when we clear the temple of our own hearts, even in anger. Let's take some time to reflect on those things. Forgiveness, repentance, receiving his ability to forgive. And then we'll close with some ministry time.